So if you got your Bibles, turn. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to thank the worship team today for beautiful worship. I want to thank Pastor Daniel uh, for bringing us into a time of confession, beautiful words. Um, God is good. Man, God's doing something in our church. I praise God, amen? You, you know we don't have brainstorming sessions somewhere in some council room and come up with the stuff that's happening in our church. You know that, right? You can't, there, there's something, you know, there's a lot of churches that generate excitement. That's what they actually call it. They call it, how are we going to manufacture excitement? How are we going to get people excited about church? We don't have to do that here because Jesus is enough. We we don't need a Ferris wheel outside. Now, I'm not against Ferris wheels. I'm a pro-Ferris wheel pastor. But praise God, we don't need it. Jesus is enough. The gospel is enough. I want to, I said I was going to pray, but I already feel like starting. I want to thank so many of you. You know, last week was a tough sermon. It's not easy to get up here and talk about handing people over to Satan. That was a tough sermon. And when you preach sermons like that straight from God's word, you expect some blowback. You expect some, some people with the other side and, well, what about this? What about that? I got none of that this week. Here's how I know God's changing us as a people. I got none of that. We finally got rid of all the complainers, I think. <laughs> Instead, what I got with so many of you through email and through text messaging, just loving me and telling me how thankful you were for our church, how thankful you were for, for how we stick so closely to the, and how encouraged you were uh, by God's word, which that encourages me and helps me. I got an email from a guy in Detroit, Michigan. And he was like, hey, brother, Somebody turned me on to your church. I've been watching online for over a year. He was like, do you know any churches here in Detroit that are like your church there? <laughs> and he actually, he, funny guy, he actually started out with, hey, my name is Sean, and I am emailing you from the communist state of Michigan. <laughs> well, she got my attention. <laughs> uh, so I emailed her back. I got family in Michigan. I know exactly what you're talking about. And your email made me laugh out loud. People are... Let, let's remember. Nobody deserves... I don't want us to think, man, God's at work and we're doing something and we're working hard so we deserve something. Nobody, no, nobody deserves heaven. Amen? Even if you are the scholiest scholar, if you've got more degrees behind your name than a thermometer, nobody, right? We work hard, we try, we study, we grow, we give, we serve, we join, we, we work through. It's, it's hard work being a Christian, amen? But regardless how hard we work, none of, we got we to remember this because some people, knowledge puffs up we got to remember, nobody deserves heaven. 
Not even those of us, if you've been saved 25 years and you've been part of the church for that long and you've, you've studied and served and you're a, a Priscilla and Aquila, right? None of us deserve heaven. All of us get there and at the foot of the cross, all are equal. The only people who get in are those who trust in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's it. It's not what we do. It's what he has done, amen? Nobody deserves heaven. And there are going to be people in heaven that are going to blow your mind. You're going to get to heaven and you're going to be like, what's he doing here? <laughs> she does not belong here. Jesus, are you sure she didn't slip in through a back door? Do you know what she did to me in the seventh grade? There are going to be people in heaven that you don't, you don't think. I, I think about the thief on the cross. Right? Dude was a Christian for like an hour. All he did was believe in Jesus. Think about, think about the thief in, in paradise. We, I don't need to get into Abraham's bosom this morning, but Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And this criminal who's been rightly crucified on a Roman cross for his crimes. We're going to talk about lawsuits today. This man has uh, committed criminal acts and has been rightly punished by the state authorities. Jesus says, today you're going to be with me. The thief breathes his last breath and he wakes up in paradise. Think about this scene. Some, some saint comes up to him and says, brother, aren't you glad you're here? And the thief goes, where am I? You don't know where you're at? I have no idea. What is this place? The saint goes, well, well, well uh, tell me about your theology. You understand atonement, right? You understand the, the temple furnishings and what they all represent. You get back to that ark and the, the mercy seat and the, the spotless blood of the Lamb. Uh, tell me about your theology of atonement. The thief looks at the saint and goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. The saint goes, uh, somebody get Moses. Abraham, somebody. Get somebody important. Bring him over. This guy, what's he doing here? Moses comes over. Oh, I need you to explain to me about the Paschal Lamb. <laughs> He's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you doing here? And out of the corner of the thief's eye, he sees Jesus walking. And he says, all I can tell you is I am here because that man over there, I think his name is Jesus, he told me I could be here. That's all I know. That's going to be a lot of people's story. There's going to be people in heaven who, who have not studied the way we have studied, who don't, uh, have not cared as deeply as we have cared. That's true, amen? we got to remember that because there's a ditch on both sides of the road. At the same time, at the same time we understand the simplicity of childlike faith, we also understand That the thief only lived like an hour. <laughs> he didn't have a lot of time to grow and deepen his faith in Christ. You and I, we are blessed. Why is our church the way it is? Because we understand the gift of breath and time that God has given us to serve him faithfully in this world. And we want to serve him well. Right? The fact that there is childlike faith and, and simplicity. One of my favorite. Who remembers jars of clay? Yes. 
Right, what a great band, right? One of my favorite lyrics, uh, yeah, I can't remember which song it's from. One of my favorite lyrics was, Blessed are the shallow, for depth they'll never find. That's a beautiful, right? There's a place for simplicity, but there's also a place to grow and to strive and to be built up into, into who God is making us to be. We're not to be cavalier about spiritual maturity. We're not to be cavalier about discipleship. That's why we strive. It's not because we think we're better than everybody else. It's because we know only Jesus is better and we need him and want him more and more and more and more, amen? And let's be honest. And I hope you've turned in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because we're going to pray and we're going to get there. But let's be honest. The problem in our country, we've got plenty of simple churches. We've got plenty of surface level churches. Churches. We got plenty of churches with rock bands and 15 minute sermonettes on you being the best you can be, your best life now. We got plenty of that. Our problem is not we're too simple. Our problem is, is we don't go deep. There's not a lot. There's people in Michigan calling us in Ackworth, Georgia. Where are the churches up here like your church? We need more. That's why we're going to plant more churches, amen? We've got to. The, the fields are white with harvest. People need to see this time that we've been given. We're responsible for ministry in our generation. We've got to get this right. And to get it right, we've got to get deeper. We've got to pursue the Lord. We've got to chase after him. He's given us everything we need to know. That's why we feel what we feel here. God is at work in us, but it's not just for us. His light shines through his people. And don't you want, listen, did God choose some simple fishermen? Praise God for Peter, right? And don't we all start out there? And look, Peter got to write two books of the Bible. That's awesome, amen? God uses everybody he calls to himself in some way, in some form, in some fashion. But those who give themselves fully, those who through the power of the Holy Spirit open up and say, Lord, teach me everything you can become more useful in his hands. There's a difference between Peter and Paul. Paul, the student, Paul, uh, the, 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 the one who desires education. When he's in chains facing the end, he tells Timothy, hey, bring my coat because it's cold in this cell, but also bring the scrolls, bring the part. Even at the end of his life, Paul still striving, still writing letters, still trying to minister from the chains that he's in to the very end. Guess what? Peter got to write two letters. Paul got to write 13. Who do you want to be? Four points. We strive, we hunger, we grow. That God may use us more. And he is. He's doing it right now. And you're a part of it. And thank you. Thank you. Let's read the text. And then we'll pray. First 11 verses of chapter 6. I'm sweating already. In this big dead dog's hoodie. 
Uh, it's not a hoodie. It's just a sweater. I don't even know if it's a sweater. What is this thing? Sweatshirt. There we go. <laughs> when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And verse 11, boy, we could spend the next 40 minutes right here in this one verse. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this room I stand in where I can sense, man, just as we read your sweet words of salvation, man, there's, there's an expectancy in the room. Your people love you. You have made us long for you. It is like David said in the Psalms, as deer pant for water, we are, we are thirsty for your righteousness, Lord Jesus. Help us this morning. Be with us and thank you that you hear our prayers and you answer them when they are in accordance with your will. And your people longing for you and your righteousness is in accordance with your will. So thank you for answering this prayer already. In Jesus' name, every Christian said, amen. amen. Mm. Back, verses one and two. Let's read them together. I want to point out two things to you. Then we're going to go read two again and verse three. We're going to talk a lot in these first three verses. When one of you has a grievance against another. Now underline that word grievance. When one of you has a grievance against another. Does he dare go to law? Does he dare go to the courts, the civil magistrates? Does he dare? This isn't the law of Moses. This is state law. Roman rule at this time in Corinth as it was a Roman province. You go to the proconsul. You go to the unbelieving authorities when you have a grievance against another instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Now underline that, trivial cases. 
Because what are we talking about here? What's the context that Paul's getting into? We just had this, this pagan case of sexual immorality. Paul says, get that guy out of here. Turn him over to Satan so that he can learn. He can learn what salvation means and understand the importance of being part of the saints and God's people gathered together in the name of Jesus. He's going to go out there and he's going to learn. He's going to, uh, uh, the hope is in turning him over. He's going to come to his senses and return and repent and be part of the fold again. But what's our context here as we move into chapter 6? Anytime when you put three people together, there's going to be, how many of you have a circle of friends? grievances happen amen we are human beings we are easily offended we all have chips on our shoulders we all hear certain things somebody says the wrong way at certain times there are going to be grievances Uh, raise your hand if you've never had a grievance with another human being in the room are there any two or three year olds in here nope i don't see anybody raising their hand we should make a bumper sticker grievances happen Kind of like the other bumper sticker. (laughs) What's the context? Grievances and trivial cases. Why is this important? Because we're not talking about criminal acts. You know, if somebody gives me a call and says, I need to meet with you, it's urgent. And I sit down with them and he says, you've been asking me where my wife's been. It's been a year Actually, a year ago, I murdered her and buried her in my backyard. And I just feel really bad about it now. <laughs> and, and Brent, you're my pastor, so, so what do I need to do to make my repentance real in this matter? I'm going to say, you need to go to the authorities and turn yourself in and go to jail for murder. No, 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 chapter 6, 1 Corinthians, we, we can handle this in the church. <laughs> no, we can't. <laughs> Listen, criminal acts must be prosecuted in criminal, do you remember when the word prosecute actually meant to prosecute? We have, God has given us. I don't know if you know this or not, and I I was going to get into this a little more today, but there is a book called Slaying Leviathan uh, by Glenn Sunshine. You have to read if you want to really understand separation between church and state that we have in our country today. But God created the world and, and placed two kingdoms side by side. Actually, there's a lot of institutions he ordained. We could talk about the family being one. But, but there's two kingdoms that have ruling authority power over uh, humanity. One is the civil magistrate, the state, and the other is the church. God gave authority to the church. Why do you think it was the church that always crowned the kings throughout history? God's given authority to the church. We've all but lost it in our country but that's another sermon for another time why did God give the state he gave the state because I mean aren't you scratching your head sometimes when you're looking at the political processes of of all countries and some are monarchies and some are dictatorships and some say they're democracies when they're really republics with democratic systems We scratch our heads some. God, why do you allow this kind of stuff to happen? We need the state. Why? 
The state is actually a means of grace that God gives us. That's why Romans 13 is there. That we're to honor those authorities. Because why? Because they keep the peace. Can you imagine what this world would look like? You know, we all, we all understand our Bibles. We all understand we're totally depraved. But do you know without the state, without accountability, without some semblance of law and order, we would not just be totally depraved. We would be utterly depraved. Think about a world with no police. Think about a world with, with no jail. Think about a world with no state. Think about a world with no accountability. There could be no economy. There could be no business. People would steal, cheat, lie, rape. We would be a terrible. Have you ever seen Mad Max? That's what the world would look like. We have visual representation through old Mel Gibson movies. Of what the world would look like without the state. So criminal cases must be prosecuted in criminal courts. We're not talking about crime. What we're talking about is grievances and trivial matters that we should be able to handle in-house. You know, uh, uh, Brent, my neighbor, he built a fence and it's six inches on my property in the back corner. He says he's a Christian. <laughs> How could he have done this? He must be demon-possessed. Have you talked to him? No, I just... Uh, ah. Listen, there's a way to work things out. You know, I was at a volleyball yesterday. I don't really have time for this story, but there's this one little girl on my daughter's team who she loses her mind every game. Some people are just have that personality trait of just... Right? You should be on Broadway. It's just drama. She cries, and, and sometimes it's her fault. She'll miss a ball. She, she loses her mind, can't focus the rest of the game. She's all up in her head. Sometimes somebody else misses on an important point. She, you know, she's got to sit on the bench and just weeps and cries. Calm down, calm down, calm down. Ref calls it out. Some people are just, just prone to make bigger deals. And the good news is there's people around us when we, because we've all been, whether we're pro do it or not, we've all been in that place where some problem, some grievance, something somebody said becomes larger than life to us. And it ruins everything in that moment. And we think it's never going to end. But God has given brothers and sisters to us. Just like that little girl. We can go to that little 12-year-old girl crying and going crazy because she thought it was in and the ref called it out. We can put our hands on her shoulders and say, baby, this is 12-year-old volleyball. It's not the end of the world. We can get some guys from the church. We can move that fence post six inches. There are things we should, we shouldn't go to small claims court if somebody dents your car door in the parking lot, which I'm sure has happened multiple times. There are not crimes, but trivial grievances, 
small claims court kind of stuff. We should be able to handle ourselves in-house. It's a disgrace when we can't and we have to invite unbelievers into our lives. We're supposed to be shining for Christ in the world and we got to get unbelievers to help us judge what's right or wrong inside the church in these trivial matters. That's why Paul says in a moment, this is, I, I say this to shame you, this should not happen. And by God's grace, I can't think of one time that has happened in our church, praise God. But I'm still preaching it hard anyway, just in case you're out there thinking about it. So we're not talking about criminal, criminal acts. We are talking about grievances and trivial things. Now, let's go back and read verse 2. Or do you not know? Actually, let me, let me say one more thing about the grievances and the trivial cases. This is so important. Because every person in this room knows. Maybe it was an experience at a past church. Maybe it's been an experience here and you were friends with somebody, but you're not friends with them anymore. You haven't talked in a long time. Right? This stuff happens. It's normal human experience. If you're in a place where you've got a grievance against another brother and sister, please let us help you. Because here's what you don't need to do. You don't need to only talk to other people about it in the church. Because what happens when that occurs? Right? Teams start forming. And once teams are formed, it's very hard to get everybody to come back together, unified in Christ Jesus. Churches split because of this stuff. Church, uh, people, groups of people leave and go across the street. And it's usually, man, they're in the beginning of that grievance. If we just could have sat down and saw things plainly and removed the emotion from whatever the grievance is, it could have been worked out. It's usually just a misunderstanding. It's usually all it is. But we let our hearts harden. We become offended and bitter. And bitterness always, it's unforgiveness towards another person, and it poisons the well, it poisons your friend group against other people, and it creates trauma within the church. It splits church, and if, even if it doesn't split the church, listen, because I've, I've seen it. I've been in ministry, I've been in full-time ministry 25 years in, in a, a number of different church environments. I have seen it over and over and over. Even if it doesn't split the church, these stupid little trivial grievances, even if it doesn't split the church, it, it creates years of a culture of suspicion and hostility uh, from one group of people to another. I mean, I have sat on the front row as a church staff member before watching two people sing a duet that I knew hated each other. It just really hinders the spirit of worship. It really does. So please hear me. If crimes have not been committed, and there's just a grievance, there's a hearsay, there's a, a rumor mill, there's a, why didn't they talk to me? Listen, I promise you, if I've walked past you in the hallway, I didn't mean to do it on purpose. Right? Some, sometimes we make issues where there are no issues, 
These are the kind of things. It's just better. Go. That's why we have small groups. And listen, when you go to your friends, you got to be careful with friends. You got to make sure you have good friends. Because some friends, how, how many of you think a friend is just somebody who shakes their head and agrees with everything that you think? That's not a good friend. The Bible says, man, I don't know where all this is coming from, but this is for somebody this morning. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. To be a good friend, sometimes you got to tell people what they don't want to hear. Hey, man, I think you're blowing this a little out of proportion. Have you even talked to them about this? That's what a good friend says to you when you've lost your mind and you're crying out on the volleyball court. Think about it. This is God speaking to his church. I would hate for something. I would hate for this church to blow up. And you guys, think about it from my perspective. Man, I studied church planning for five years before I moved here. I got 15 years of work into this thing. For you to, to come in and get mad at somebody else and blow the church up, all that work, gone, all those prayers, gone, it's just not, number one, it's just not fair. And it's not good for you, and it's not good for the church. Unity in Christ Jesus. Did you know that Paul calls out two women in the Philippian church in chapter 4? Just calls them out right there. Imagine that. When Paul wrote letters, these Old Testament letters, these New Testament letters, Paul wasn't in the Old Testament, he was in the New Testament. These letters were read with authority. People believed they were scripture. Peter even says the letters Paul writes are scripture. It's the Holy Spirit's work through Paul. He's an apostle, one who has seen the risen Lord Jesus. He has the authority to write these letters. These letters were read aloud. What if Paul wrote four points church a letter to, to the church in Aquarthia? <laughs> and right in the, as that letter ended, two people in the church get called out by name and everybody looks straight to them. That's what happened to Euodia and Syntyche. They got called out. And Paul just says, you guys have got to come together. You guys have got to agree. In, where does unity come from? In the Lord. It is Jesus Christ. And that's where our unity. But he's a Democrat. And I'm a Republican. He, uh, he's an, he uses Apple computers. I'm a Microsoft only. This is where our disagreements come to find unity in Christ Jesus, Jesus alone. It's got to happen. If you're not getting good advice from a friend, talk to yourself. That's why we have small groups. Talk to your small group leader. What should I do? They're going to take you right to Matthew 18. Have you talked to them yet? Have you gone with them with somebody else and talked to them? If it didn't go well, let's get a pastor involved. That's how these things should work. Because God cares about his church. God wants to preserve and protect. There shouldn't be small claims court stuff going on in the church. Amen? We are brothers and sisters. We are family. And this is not a Michael Scott office thing. We're family. By God's grace, we really are brothers and sisters together in the Lord Jesus who are going to judge even the angels. Let's get to that now. Back to verse 2. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Just underline that or highlight or however you make indentions or notes in your Bible. 
Do you not know? Or you got these grievances and these trivial things and you're going to unbelievers for help and figuring out, do you not know that you, saints of God, men and women of God, you are going to judge the world? Now read verse 3 before we unpack this. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? Underline that. Make a note. Do you not know you judge the, not only the world, but you judge even the angels? Here's what we know. God created a, a group of heavenly beings. They are spiritual beings. They're called angels in the Bible. We know some of them by name. We know Michael. We know Gabriel. We know an angel named Lucifer, the son of the morning. Those are the three angels that are, uh, we know by name from Scripture. God makes this angelic race to go about and ensure his will is being done within his creation. Angels are created beings. They're, they're not like God. They're less than God. God is creator. Angels are created beings. But somehow, at some point, most believe between the, uh, the, the sixth and seventh day, the angel Lucifer rebels against God. And Revelation talks about him being the dragon who with his tail swipes down one third of the stars. He convinces a third of the other angels to follow him in a civil war against God. Lucifer says, and Lucifer, according to the typology we have in Ezekiel, Lucifer is a, I mean, God made him higher than the other angels, made him, he was beautiful. They called him son of the morning. Lucifer, many believe, was the, the choir director, the one who led the songs. Watch out, Ryan. I'm so thankful for Ryan. He is unlike any worship director we've ever had because he's not like Lucifer in any way. <laughs> he leads a revolt. And Jesus says, Jesus says in Matthew, I saw Satan fall like, like this civil war against God wasn't a war at all. In a spoken word, Satan and those angels fall from the heavens to the earth. And Jesus says in Matthew that a special place has been created for them. That place is hell. A place where they will be eternally separated from the grace of God only to experience the wrath of God for eternity. The angels, 2 Peter chapter 2 and Jude 1 6, angels have already been judged by God. So what does this mean? We are to judge the world. How can this be? It's actually quite simple. There's no atonement. There's no redemption. There's no salvation for Lucifer and his angels. None has been given. Angels weren't made in the image and likeness of God either. They watch with anticipation as God works out something that they can't even really truly comprehend. Atonement, redemption, we, you, us, 
made in the image and likeness of God. We stand just like Lucifer did. But God offers salvation through sending his son in human flesh who lived the life uh, that we have not lived. He lived a perfect human life, completely satisfying all the righteous requirements of God and his law. And then he dies in our place for our sin. When we put our trust in him, we experience salvation and we become seated in the heavens with Christ. We become in Christ when we trust in him. 30 times in the book of Ephesians alone, we are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And guess what? All rule. All authority. Jesus in human flesh even conquered death for humanity. There is no other enemy left. The Lord Jesus has conquered all things. He sits on the throne. The earth is his footstool. And you and I are seated with him. We will in Christ. It's his judgment, but we get to sit there in Christ alongside him and rule and reign with him. Even in judgment over beings that are higher than we. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 20. I told you I wasn't going to go anywhere. I'm sorry. Last chapter of Revelation. Let's just read the first couple of verses. Because this is, this, is this is what's coming. This is the end of the story. Some like the thief of the cross are going to be right here with those of us who have served God for decades and decades and decades. But all who put their trust in Jesus are going to reign with him. Listen to the beautiful imagery we have. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Not just the Jews, but the nations. All tribes, all tongues, all peoples there drinking from the water of life, eating the fruits of the tree of life. It's it's eternal. Heaven is forever in the grace of God. No longer will there be anything accursed. No more anathema there. Nothing cursed but the throne of God. And of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. Think about it. Those long, dark nights of the soul. There's not going to be any more night. The sun will never go down. In fact, we won't even need the sun. Read this. There will be no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. Don't you love those mornings when you walk out and the sun's rising? And those summer mornings when you can feel the heat warming your face? There's no sun in heaven. 
Because we don't need a sun. There's no light in heaven. Jesus is the, 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 the light that warms us. Jesus is the light that shows us what we can never see apart from. We will see so much more clearly than we ever thought we could in the light of Christ our Lord. And in those moments, we will reign. And they, the saints from the nations who have put their faith in Christ, they will reign forever and ever. You and I seated with Christ in heaven. He pronounces judgment over Lucifer. We're going to see Lucifer get thrown in that pit that's been created for him. We're going to see all people who have followed him in doing whatever they want and being their own gods. We're going to see Jesus pronounce judgment and in Christ we also will pronounce judgment upon them and justice will be served once and for all. Nobody got away with anything amen? amen praise god first corinthians chapter six let's go back we're gonna finish how much more matters pertaining to this life verse four let's let's try to hurry so if you have such cases why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church i say this to your shame can it be that there is no one among you? And this is, this is sarcasm here. You remember several chapters, wisdom from the, of the world versus the wisdom of God. You remember that, that biting paragraph where Paul's like, oh, I wouldn't have to work so hard if I knew how smart you guys were. You got so much wisdom. So this is a, a sarcastic little bite here that Paul puts in. Is there no one there wise enough to settle these trivial matters? Is there no one in the church that has enough wisdom to handle these, these petty, non-criminal grievances that you're having with one another? Here's the good news about wisdom. If you don't believe you have any, James chapter 1, verse 5, brother. Ask God. He gives wisdom out like candy. He loves to. Since I read that back when I was 21 years old, I've been asking God, Lord, give me wisdom, give me wisdom, give me wisdom. He hasn't done it yet, but I believe he's going to. It should be part of your daily prayer. God, give me wisdom to live. Give me wisdom to parent. Give me wisdom to know where I need to draw lines between career and retirement and family and church service and ministry and, and all the things that are going on. And we need wisdom, amen, to live for Jesus in this world. Ask him for it. He loves to give wisdom. And because he loves to get wisdom, we can honor 1 Corinthians chapter 6 by not allowing our trivial matters and grievances to destroy the good things that God are doing here. We can have wisdom to help people settle the minor disputes that they have so that we can move forward in the unity that Jesus Christ provides us. We can do what God tells us we can do. Ask for wisdom, brothers and sisters. Pray for your church leaders, not just your pastors, but your, your deacons. Your, we've got families over each room of, of kids. We've got so many people serving in so many ways. Pray for wisdom for all of us. We need it. Verse 6, but brother goes to law against brother. And that before unbelievers. 
to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. This is really happening in this church. And the Holy Spirit is using Paul to correct the error. You guys need to know this is a defeat for you. This is, this is a dampering of the light that you are shining for Christ. Would you rather not suffer wrong? Would, why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Look at those two lines there in verse 7. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? What's Paul saying? Sometimes it's better just to give the six inches of fence than blowing up a church, than blowing up fellowship amongst people who are supposed to be brothers and sisters. You know what Paul is saying here? Take the high road. It's not going to kill you. And listen, there have been times I've not taken the high road, but there have been a lot of times I have. There have been a lot of times I have apologized to people that I didn't think, I didn't do anything wrong, but they seemed to want an apology. So I apologize. Sometimes you just got to take the high road. And it stings and it hurts. But guess what? I have never been sorry for trying to do the right thing in any situation. It's better to be defrauded. It's better to let somebody else win an argument sometimes. Right? To, to protect and maintain the unity that we can have in Christ Jesus. Take the high road. Verse 9, shift back to another list of things. Don't, don't be deceived. Just like you shouldn't have lawsuits amongst one another. You should be able to take care of that in-house. Don't be deceived. All these acts will destroy the unity of the church. All these acts, people who claim to be Christians and do these things are not really Christians. They're not going to inherit the kingdom, Jesus says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Look at this list and do not be deceived. When you see the book in the Christian bookstore on how to be a gay Christian, do not be deceived. When you see the, the Christian business book that tells you how to swindle and cheat and work around companies to get the most money out of people, do not be deceived. People who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We talked about the sexually immoral last week. We're going to talk about, uh, about it again next week. It's a junk drawer term. It means everything, but even Though Paul begins with that, he lists two different things that fall under sexual immorality in this list that we, we do need to talk about. We talked about idolaters last week, nor adulterers, part of sexual immorality. You know, if you are having a relationship, if you're having relations with someone and you're unmarried and they're unmarried, that's called fornication. That's part of sexual immorality. Adultery is something different. Adultery is when you have committed yourself to living in marriage God, by God's design, a man and a woman coming together, committing yourself lifelong to one another, and then you go off and you defile that marriage bed, and you have a relationship with someone who's not your spouse. That is adultery, and Jesus calls it sin. God's word calls it sin. 
sin, people who practice these things. Now, if you've messed up, there is repentance and forgiveness, amen? God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin when we confess our sin. But someone living a lifestyle, an adulterous lifestyle, and they call themselves brother, they are not. Go back, don't even eat with such a person. Don't even share a table with a person like this. This is, this is the way. <laughs> this is God's way. We should honor God at his word. The sexually immoral will not inherit. Idolaters will not inherit. Adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Nor men who practice homosexuality. Now listen, and I don't, as a pastor, I hear everything. I hear about pederasty. I hear about all the excuses that people in the alphabet community use to say the Bible doesn't really mean what it says. And again, if you've got small children, just cover their ears. I don't know how this is going to come out. But there are some who practice homosexuality. And because they're the man, and by the way, lesbians, you're not off the hook. Go to Romans 1. It's men who have unnatural relationship with men and women who have unnatural relationship with women. But just the men are spoken of because here in the Corinthian church, they were the problem. But there are some in a homosexual relationship who think, well, I'm doing what the man does in a normal relationship, so I'm not really homosexual. It's just my partner that's the homosexual. It's only the effeminate man that's truly the homosexual. I'm just doing what a guy normally does. Right? I'm the pitcher and I'm still pitching. I never catch. <laughs> Let's just pray and go home. Why is this important? Your kids are hearing a different message way more from the world than what you're getting right here. But it's spelled out clear as day, not just here in Leviticus, in Romans, in Timothy. It's, it's throughout. Every time the word sexual immorality, this is part of it. It's in every book of the Bible. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we love you. We love the adulterers. We love the sexually immoral, which is why we proclaim to you, do not be deceived. There is salvation for you. The same Christ who died on a cross for my sin has died for your sin as well. Trust him, repent. You're not happy. You know, you change your sex, you're still not happy. You're still the same broken person searching for meaning that you were before you tried any of the stuff Satan said would make you happy. Come to your senses. Do not be deceived. Sin is real, but there is hope. We, we talk about the sin, not because we're angry, mean people. We talk about the sin so you know there's a Savior who can rescue you from the pit that you've dug yourself in. I've experienced it. Men and women in this room, they've experienced it. Come to Jesus. Do not be deceived nor thieves, nor the greedy, 
nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. We talked about all but thieves last week. There's a pit Lucifer's going to be thrown in. Judgment's already occurred. God's people, we don't want to pronounce judgment on anyone. We don't have to. We read God's word, even the hard parts of God's word, that some will hear and run to Christ and experience what so many of us have already experienced. 11, verse 11, such were some of you. How many of you have been one of those things? How many, please don't raise your hand. (laughs) Some of us have been many of these things. But there's hope in Christ. There is a washing that can occur. All we have to do is humble ourselves and come to the Lord Jesus and say, I have messed up my life so badly. I don't think it can ever be made right. But Jesus, if you're real, please help me. That was my prayer. And it, it took. He came down. He saved me. He held me. I felt chains of bondage uh, break off of me in a moment when he wrapped his arms around me. I've never been the same. I've not been perfect since then, but I've never been the same. Emptiness is gone. Doesn't mean you don't struggle sometimes. Doesn't mean uh, uh, you uh, don't wrestle with decisions. But man, Jesus changes your life. He just does. There is a washing. There is a cleansing that occurs when we call out to Christ our sins. Oh, they stain us. But we can be washed white as snow. As baptism symbolizes water. Washes over. Right, you don't take dirty laundry and wash it and then throw it back in the dirty laundry. No, when something is washed and something is clean, it's set aside. It's put with all the rest of the clean clothes. You were washed. You were sanctified. The Lord Jesus washes us. And then he sets us apart. He makes us part of his people, his triumphant army, marching in Jesus' name through this world in every generation. The church is not going away. It's going to be here till the end. God sets us apart and puts us in his, uh, makes us part of his people, grafts us into his body, his bride that he commits himself to, that he joins himself to. That's why marriage is important. It's a picture of the gospel. It's what Jesus does when he washes us and sets us apart. He joins us to himself. That's why we're going to judge the world and even judge angels because we are in Christ. He washes us. If you are out there and you are struggling, if you are in here and sin has just spoiled, there is a washing that can occur. There is a setting apart that can occur. There is a justification that can occur. That is the legal terms. Even though you're guilty as sin, The judge brings the hammer down, the gavel down and says, not guilty. Debt paid in full. Not because your sin got swept under the rug. But because your sin was applied to his account. 
and he paid the penalty that you should pay for you because he loves you. And at the end, he says, it's finished. Sin, debt, gone. You're washed. You're set apart. You are made right with God for eternity in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and through the spirit of our God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, only you truly know what you're doing. We try to be faithful. We try to be obedient. And by, by the, your grace and your spirit, we are faithful at times. And we are good stewards at times. Lord Jesus, may we be the humble people, all the Christians in the room, may we be the humble people, humble enough to admit when we're wrong and repent of our sin, that we stay part of your family. Lord Jesus, there's somebody listening. Whether in this room or somewhere out there, Lord God, you're convicting them of their sin. Father, may they not be deceived. Save souls through the preaching of your word and may we rejoice in the knowledge that that is being done god give your spirit and the strength necessary for the sinner to come home it is in jesus name amen